Old powers waken, shadows stir. An age of wonder and terror will soon be upon us. An age for gods and heroes. The glass candles are burning, and you're listening to the Obsidian Knights Podcast. Hello, my sweet summer children. Welcome back to the Obsidian Nights podcast, where we go through a song of ice and fire chapter by chapter. We have just finished book one, A Game of Thrones. Um, The last episode I did was with Quinn from Ideas of Ice and Fire or from Quinn's Ideas Now. Um, And today we are kicking off Clash of Kings. So you can find Obsidian Nights on any podcast player for free. Um, every episode of Obsidian Nights, unfortunately, I'm not able to make into a YouTube video, but for free, you can listen to these chapter dissections for free. <laughs> I keep saying <laughs> for free. Cause I want you to know guys, it's free. You can listen to it on Apple, Spotify, Google play, Alexa, anything that you have podcast player just podbean anything you can listen to it and i will leave all of the podcast links in the description of this video some of the chapters i will be making into youtube videos um but today i am joined by my bestie hand of the queen obsidian knights scheduler um mandy nim shadow <laughs> mandy would you like <laughs> to tell the people who you are and where they can find you yeah, I am one quarter of Dire Wolf City, one quarter of Preposterous AF, frequent guest on Obsidian Nights and scheduling for all of the podcast uh, guest spot bookings. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Nims Shadow. Yes. And if you don't have Instagram or Twitter, um, you can email Obsidian Nights podcast at gmail.com and I will forward it to Mandy. Um, also, 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 please do me a favor and leave a review on this podcast. It helps me out a lot. It helps grow the Sweet Summer family, and it helps people find this podcast that is also free. And if you would like to, you can join the Discord server, and that link will also be in the description box of this episode. And this episode is going to be insane. Insane because this is we're we're getting into dark at Game of Thrones, right? You see how like the book started off kind of sweet and bright and light. Well, now a Clash of Kings is dark. It's one of the darkest books in the entire series, and we're getting plunged into a world that is a bit different from the last book that we read. Like when we open up with this prologue, it's it's it, the, this prologue is insane. It's probably yeah, the best going on. <laughs> it's probably the best prologue. Like I said it before, I'll say it again. All the prologues are so good. They're so good. They're so good. But this one is exceptionally good. And let's just let's just get into it. So um, the prologue starts out, and we're at Dragonstone, and this is our first real not introduction to Dragonstone, but this is the first time we've been in Dragonstone, and it says. 
The comet's tail spread across the dawn, a red slash that bled above the crags of Dragonstone like a wound in the pink and purple sky. The maester stood on the windswept balcony outside his chambers. It was here the ravens came after long flight. Their dropping speckled the gargoyles that rose 12 feet tall on either side of him, a hellhound and a wyvern. Two of the thousand... <clears throat> two of the thousand that brooded over the walls of the ancient fortress. When first he came to Dragonstone, the army of stone grotesques had made him uneasy. But as the years passed, he had grown used to them. Now he thought of them as old friends. The three of them watched the sky together with foreboding. So, <laughs> oh, there's a lot going on. So we're getting an introduction to Dragonstone. Where we last left off in A Game of Thrones was the Daenerys chapter dragons had been reborn we saw the red comet and now we're seeing the red comet from a westerosi perspective and we see dragonstone as like this formidable fortress like he's talking about these wyverns and this hellhound and it's kind of like why why did you choose these targaryens valerians why did you choose a hellhound and a wyvern because it's menacing well, I think the um, <laughs> wyverns, as you call them, the wyverns, <laughs> the wyverns, <laughs> you're so cute. The wyverns were like, they were a part of Valyrian lore and part of Valyrian culture. Mm-hmm. Um, the hellhounds, I I mean, that to me, think, like I think of like Danny's the dreamer. Yeah. And her seeing like the doom mm. and the the like, basically hellfire raining down from the yeah. explosions, and maybe that was their like callback to the doom of Valyria and the gates yeah. of hell opening up. So a wyvern is basically like it's like they're kin to dragons, right? But they're smaller and they don't breathe fire, right? Right. Yeah. Right. So um, I could see maybe they just were using like terrible monsters. It's like a kind of a, like a warding, like leave us the fuck alone. Mm-hmm. We're dangerous. You see these scary creatures and they have like 2000 on the walls yeah. of this fortress. And there's, there's one other castle in Westeros that has gargoyles, right? Yeah. Winterfell. Yeah. Just one, <laughs> the, just the one that brand the builder built. Just like and, and more specifically like, uh, the first keep. At Winterfell. Right. Just the first keep. Yep. And Dragonstone. Yep. I wonder what that yeah. means, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so this POV is from Maester Crescent's point of view. And to me, Maester Crescent is a very sympathetic character. Um, very sad character. Yeah. Um, it's not like like how I feel like a lot of the characters in the prologue are almost pathetic kind of like so sad that it it's kind of pathetic it like like with chet yeah pathetic and even with veramir i mean it's disgusting but he's kind of a pitiable creature yeah and with pate pate yeah and with crescent like it's yeah. like uh you live to die in the prologue. <laughs> you only <laughs> live to die. So um, as we keep going, um, it says, 
The maester did not believe in omens, and yet, old as he was, Crescent had never seen a comet half so bright, nor yet that color, that terrible color, the color of blood and flame and sunsets. He wondered if his gargoyles had ever seen its like. They had been here so much longer than he had, and would still be here long after he was gone, if stone tongues could speak. Such folly. He leaned against the battlement, the sea crashing beneath him, the talk. Mm. The black stone rough beneath his fingers, talking gargoyles and prophecies in the sky. I am an old done man, grown giddy as a child again. Had a lifetime's hard-won wisdom fled him along with his health and strength? He was a maester, trained and chained in the great citadel of Old Town. What had he, what had he come to when superstition filled his head as if he were an ignorant field hand? And yet, and yet... The comet, and yet, and yet, the comet burned even by day now, while pale gray steam rose from the hot vents of Dragon Mount. Behind the castle, and Yestermon, a white raven, had brought, <laughs> Yestermon, and Yestermorn, a white raven, had brought word from the citadel itself, word long expected, but no less fearful for all that, word of summer's end, omens all, too many to deny. What does it all mean? He wanted to cry. So <laughs> a lot is going on. Like he's saying, um, we have the white raven arriving from the Citadel, which means the season is over. I think this is very interesting when the last chapter we had dragons being reborn. And I feel like somehow that magic has affected the end of seasons mm -hmm. because in the very next chapter after that, which is this prologue, this book, winter or summer is over and right. the white raven has flown. But right. we also, um, we have like, he's, what he's saying, like what his dilemma kind of is, is that the Citadel doesn't believe in this kind of shit. Like the Citadel doesn't believe in magical prophecies and omens and all of this stuff, but it's so much that's happening around him that it's, he can't deny it, even though he's trying very hard to deny right. it. Right. His, his logical Citadel side is saying science, science, but then there's all this shit going on. Like it's hard to deny when it's hitting you in the face over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, so uh, Ma Maester Crescent is like training Pylos. I think to like, you know, come after him because Maester Crescent's an old man. Yeah, um, his successor. Yeah, his successor. And he's basically like, uh, Shireen wants to see the White Raven. Um, and Pylos calls her Princess Shireen because Stannis is now king. And <laughs> Maester Crescent says, king of a smoking rock in the Great Salt Sea, yet a king nonetheless. And Shireen has patch face with her. Patchface. Yes. This is what I want to talk about. <laughs> I have got so much to talk about with Patchface. Let's go. Let's go. Kick it off. Let's talk about Patchy Facey. <laughs> so, okay. Patchface, I always thought, and I was wrong. I can go ahead and admit that now. I know I was wrong now. Um, I always, I think we even talked about it on Direwolf City one time about how I thought that he was like a water white. <laughs> like we were just collecting elements or something. Yeah. Um, because Earth, he, the wind, fire. <laughs> <laughs> because he drowned yeah. and he was brought back and now he's got all of these weird 
like riddles and rhymes and prophecies, basically. Mm-hmm. And as I was reading this morning, getting ready for our chapter, I realized what an idiot I am. Because I doubt every you're time an, you're not an idiot. <laughs> every time he says under the sea, he's talking about Valeria. You think? No, I know. I went through every single one of his under the sea riddles and he's talking about Valeria. The first one he says is the birds have scales for feathers. They're dragons. Birds mm-hmm. that are flying, but they have scales. They're dragons. He says under the sea. Here's, here's the one that fucking tripped me out. Okay. The merwives wear nanny moans in their hair mm-hmm. and weave gowns of silver seaweed. Mm-hmm. Nanny moans are purple flowers. Mm-hmm. And silver, seaweed, purple and silver, valerians. Mm -hmm. Under the sea, no one wears hats because there are no kings in Valeria. They're ruled by the freeholders. Mm. Under the sea, the mermen feast on starfish soup and the serving men are crabs. Okay, starfish soup is the the seven-pointed star. They're feasting on the andals. Ooh, I like that. (laughs) The Celtigars are the crabs and they were the servants Mm. who were the ancient you know blood of old valeria but they came there with the valerians and the valerians the targaryens and the valerians um and they were serving men to house targaryen um what's the other one uh oh it snows up and the rain is dry it snows up is the ashes exploding from the volcanoes and the rain is dry. I think it's Tyrion who tells us that it was raining dragon glass. Yeah, it was raining obsidian. And so the rain was dry. <laughs> oh, it could be that. It could the be smoke, that. The smoke rises in bubbles is still the volcanoes erupting from under the water. And so the smoke would come up in bubbles. And the flames burn green and blue and black. That's all of the the snow or not the snow the the fires of the like the, in the smoking sea mm-hmm. because it says that there's like a green light almost like wildfire that's coming from valeria uh, i think it's red is it red yeah there's something green there like, like the i know makoro like Tyrion sees like this red like moon looking thing but it looks like the sun and Macquarie's mm-hmm. like it's always red over Valeria. Oh, that's right. That's right. He does say it's always red. Okay. Well, anyways, green and blue and black reference to like maybe just the volcanic eruptions, the green lands with the black, uh, the blue soot. sea mm-hmm. and the black soot and the like the scorched earth. But I feel like everything doesn't like have to line up perfectly for it to mean something. It could reveal something that we don't already know. Right, of course. Because when you look at like Patchface's prophecies, there some of them are very literal. Like very the literal. one, that fucking creepy one in Storm, where de- where devil, where he's like talking about the red wedding. Yeah, obviously. The fool's blood, king's blood, blood on the maiden's thigh, but yeah. chains for the guests and chains for the bridegroom. I I I I fucking <laughs> creep. It is creepy, but even like the shadows have come to stay. The shadows have come to dance. That's Melisandre killing the kings and her shadow babies. Mm-hmm. I mean, and she's the one that she's the one that responds to him. What a clever fool! Like she's recognizing what 
Like she's picking up what he's putting down. She's seeing that he's, he's legit. He's actually seeing what he thinks, like what he's saying is real. Yeah. And he's like, she's terrified of him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. she is. <laughs> she, she's terrified of patch face. Like anyone would she's, be terrified. She's of not him. as good at her job as he is. is. <laughs> and what kind of parents are Celise and Stannis for like, okay, I get it. Like patch face is a fool. But he's like a very creepy grown ass man. Mm-hmm. And like y'all just be letting him hang out with your little daughter all yeah. the time and unsupervised. Sure, and it's like soft in the head, just run around with my kid. Yeah. Who's already like damaged and lonely and <laughs> yeah. Has terrible yeah. nightmares. Very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> so <laughs> the the chapter talks about um how Pylos got there and all of that stuff. Um, so Pylos goes to get Shireen and it says, when Pylos returned, the girl came with him shy as ever behind her shuffling and hopping in that queer sideways walk of his came her fool on his head was a mock helm fashioned from an old tin bucket with a rack of deer antlers strapped to the crown and hung with cowbells. With his every lurching step, the bells rang, each with a different voice. Clang-a-dang, bong-dong, ring-a-ling, clong-clong. You know what I can hear? Patch face like, sh- like p- bing-bong. <laughs> bing-bong. Uh, what do you want to tell Joe Byron? <laughs> like, like, what the fuck? Like, that's how I could see Patch face, like, just being, he's so crazy. Yeah, he's very um, eccentric. And I love that. Um, Shireen just calls him Patches. Just Patches. I love that. Um, cute. Poor thing. So she basically is like, um, you know, it's me and Patches, Maester. <laughs> and he, Maester Crescent has so much sympathy for Shireen. Um, and he has a lot of sympathy for Stannis, and we're going to talk about that. But um, yeah, He's got sympathy for all of them, and I love that about him. Yeah. Yeah, that he's, he's just he's a very loving person. You can tell. And he, I think it even says at one point, like, I never had any children of my own, but I'm still a father because he loves those boys so much. Yeah. Yep. He's just a sweet person. Which makes me like so angry at Stannis near the end of this chapter. Um, but she says or he, he says the child had her Lord father's squared jut of a jaw and her mother's unfortunate ears, along with a disfigurement <laughs> all her own, the legacy of the bout of grayscale that had almost claimed her in the crib across half one cheek and well down her neck. Her flesh was stiff and dead. The skin cracked and flaking, modded black and gray and stony to the touch. Pilo said we might see the White Raven. Indeed you may, Crescent answered, as if he would never deny her. As if he would ever deny her. She had been denied too often in her time. Her name was Shireen. She would be 10 on her next name day, and she was the saddest child that Maester Crescent had ever known. Her sadness is my shame, the old man thought. Another mark of my failure. So he's like beating himself up pretty bad pretty bad and uh, he blames himself for not being able to cure shireen's grayscale right or i don't okay. know I, I don't know he, he thinks he's a failure because of her grayscale yeah well it, it's the way that she contracted it they i guess didn't stannis buy the little dolly from a trader yeah 
And he ended up, because Crescent couldn't fix it, he ended up having to call in a bunch of like specialists from across the, the sea. And yep. yeah, so he feels like he failed her and basically scarred her for life because he couldn't fix her. Yeah. I mean, sir, no one can really fix Grayscale. Did you know? <laughs> Did you know? <laughs> Unless you're, you know, Sam just reading a how-to manual from Ikea. Yeah, just peel it off. That's all it takes. Yeah, just cut it off. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so um, he talks about um, him having to go where he is sent. And he was at first at Storm's End, but he had been um, at Dragonstone. And he says he never loved Dragonstone, nor ever felt truly at home here. Of late, when he woke from restless dreams in which the red woman figured disturbingly, he often did not know where he was. The fool turned his patched and piebald head to watch Pylos climb the steep iron steps to the rookery. His bells rang with emotion. Under the sea, the birds have scales for feathers, he said, clang-a-langing. I know, I know, oh, oh, oh. And that's what you're saying. He's talking about dragons. Yes, he's talking is, about dragons. And it makes sense that he's talking about dragons because then they get into dragons um, later. Right. And Maester Crescent says, even for a fool, patch face was a sorry thing. Perhaps once he could evoke gales of laughter with a quip, but the sea had taken that power from him along with half his wits and all his memories. He was soft and obese, subject to twitches and trembles, incoherent as often as not. The girl was the only one who laughed at him now the only one who cared if he lived or died an ugly little girl and a sad fool and a maester makes three. Now there is a tale to make men weep. It's such a fucking sad chapter. He is. He's kind of like a, like a sad emo kid, but like you feel bad for him. Yeah. Like see super fucking emo. Yes. Um, and Shireen. So Shireen tells him like, as they're talking, I had bad dreams. Shireen told him. About mm-hmm. the dragons. They were coming to eat me. And I feel this. This is some. Um, Shireen is having dreams of dragons eating her. Mm-hmm. We know Melisandre. Later, later on. Melisandre is getting trying to use her. Right. Well, she, she starts with King's blood. We know Shireen has King's blood uh, to wake dragons. Mm-hmm. So I could see like that whole her dreaming of dragons eating her. Yeah, I think that's foreshadowing because I definitely think Stannis is going to kill her. Right. Not that she'll be like literally eaten by a dragon, but that her her life force will be used to make a dragon or to yeah. try to make a dragon. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then they had this whole um, this whole uh, back and forth where he's like, we've talked of this before the dragons cannot come to life they are carved of stone child in olden days our island was the westernmost outpost of the great freehold of valyria it was the valyrians who raised the citadel and they had ways of shaping stone since lost to us a castle must have towers wherever two walls meet at an angle for defense the valyrians fashioned these towers in the shape of dragons to make their fortress seem more fearsome just as they crowned their walls with a thousand gargoyles instead of simple crenellations. So he's trying to tell her, which is really funny. Um, like dragons can't come alive from stone. 
<laughs> they're stone <laughs> dragons and we and we know that in the last chapter stone dragons did in fact come alive so while he's telling her like literally these gargoyles can't come to life that's what he means but it's it, there's a duality thing going on here because we know that stone dragons were just born and we know in this prophecy they talk about Azora High waking dragons from stone. Right. And that's that's his logical side, again, warring with what he sees around him. Because he's telling her, no, no, they're just supposed to look scary. They're fine. Like, but he sees, you know, the red comet in the sky and magic reawakening all around him. So yeah. he doesn't, I don't think he truly believes either one, but like they're at war with each other. Yeah. And so he's just, he's lying to himself as much as he's lying to her. Yeah. And like, he's older. So like he's saying, like he wakes up and doesn't know where he is. So there might be like a little dementia mix up in that Mm -hmm. uh, maester soup that's going on at (laughs) at Dragonstone. Um, But Shireen tells him about the comment and about Dalla and Matrice uh, talking about Melisandre telling Shireen that it was the dragon's breath. The, if the dragons are breathing, doesn't that mean they are coming to life? Mm-hmm. And the Maester Crescent is like the red woman, Maester Crescent thought sourly. Ill enough that she filled the head of the mother with her madness. Must she poison the daughter's dreams as well? And he talks about like how he's going to like have a talk with Dalla. And then he explains to Shireen like what a comet is. And then... um. Shireen's just like a very inquisitive child. She's like, well, my mother said like the white raven means that it's not summer anymore. And like, she's just like basically picking the maester's brain. Like she wants, Mm -hmm. like she's thirsty for knowledge and she wants to know what's going on around her. And they talk about, I feel like that's, that's real like common with kids that are like sad and lonely and also is, her age. Yeah, and also the age too. Nine-year-olds are very like inquisitive like that. Mm-hmm. But especially like having having a kid that age going through quarantine, they become like when they can't just go outside and run around and play, they're like, okay, so explain this to me then. Yeah. <laughs> they they get like they need to they need to exercise their brain another way. Mm-hmm. And so they just ask you 20,000 questions and want to know like how the world works yeah um so he tells her you know about the white raven about winter about the seasons about summer ending and then um patch face says it is always summer under the sea um and that's where he talks about the mirror wives wear ninny moans in their hair and weave gowns of yeah. silver seaweed. and it's always summer under the sea because it's in the land of always summer yes and when you think of under the sea I've always thought that Valyria was like a parallel to Atlantis. Mm-hmm. And then you, you have this Atlantis, which is supposedly a lost city that they feel like is somewhere under the sea. So I feel like that could be like a nod. Valyria reminds me a lot of Atlantis, like oh, the, yeah. the technology being super advanced and all mm-hmm. that stuff, like almost a mythical city. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's mythical in the fact that like you can't go there. It's like this unattainable, untouchable place. Mm-hmm. But it's it just exists in legends, you yeah. know. At this point, it's what been three hundred more than three hundred years, yeah, since the doom. And so it's just kind of like 
old stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, also, another thing that Patchface says, clever bird, clever man, clever, clever fool. Uh, and this is when he's talking about the white raven being a clever yes. bird and clever man, clever, clever fool. And I'm wondering, is he calling Pylos a clever man? Is he calling Crescent a clever man? Or is there someone inside of that bird? That's what I think. I think there's someone inside the bird. I was thinking. I it think it's too. Blood Raven. I was it's thinking. Always it Blood too. Raven. Always. <laughs> and then um, Patchfrey says, The shadows come to dance, my lord, dance, my lord, dance, my lord. He sang, hopping from one foot to the other and back again. The shadows come to stay, my lord, stay, my lord, stay, my lord. He's so fucking creepy. He specifically says it three times. Mm-hmm. And so that would be Balon, Rob, and Joffrey. Could be. Three false you know, kings, three leeches, three deaths. Do you think the shadows um, could be the White Walkers? Because they're often described as shadows. See, that's what I always thought before. That the shadows like are coming, being like the White Walkers are coming. Mm-hmm. But in looking through it through the lens of he's talking about like Valyria all the other times, now it makes me think that he's talking about Melisandre and that these <laughs> shadows that are coming to dance, like we see um, when when Danny is in the tent with Miri Mazdor, the shadows are dancing. It's yeah. blood magic. Yeah, yeah, and that and we know that Melisandre is going to have some. Uh, well, and we also refer to dancing as as in in the fighting. Books. It's it's war. Yeah, it's battles like the dance of dragons, the dance over Harrenhal. It's all battles. And the other prologue, we have a guy. The first prologue of the Game of Thrones, we have Will um Waymore Royce dance with me. Yeah, then. dance with me then. That's a such fighting. a badass line. It is <laughs> Look at that tattooed on my ass. So Shireen, Shireen is like, he sings that stupid song all the time. Like, make him stop. It makes me scared. Um, and Maester Crescent recalls what happened and how Patchface got there. And basically what happened, short story, is that Stephen Baratheon, the father of Stannis, Robert, and Renly, was, was friends with Ares. Well, actually, they're cousins. They were they were cousins. Right. cousins. Um so She's the great grandmother or something. Yeah. So they go, um, Stefan and his wife go to find Rhaegar a wife in the free cities. Um, they're trying to find him a bride. Uh so while they're there, they don't find a bride, but they find Patchface. And um Stefan writes to Maester Crescent about him. Only a boy, yet nimble as a monkey and witty as a dozen courtiers. He juggles and riddles and does magic, and he can sing prettily in four tongues. We have bought his freedom and hope to bring him home with us. Robert will be delighted with him, and perhaps in time he will even teach Stannis how to laugh. So they bring, they make their way back. They make their way back, and there happens to be a storm in Shipbreaker's Bay. And they watch basically as, as they see his father, their father's uh, ships 
get torn up off the coast of Storm's End. And then Patchface washes up on the third day. And Maester Crescent like comes and like they think he's dead. But come to find out, he's not dead. He's alive. Uh, but they say the witty clever lad that Lord Stefan had written the the witty, clever lad that Lord Stefan had written of never reached Storm's End. The boy they found was someone else, broken in body and mind, hardly capable of speech, much less of wit. Yet his fool's face left no doubt of who he was. It was the fashion in the free city of Volantis to tattoo the faces of slaves and servants from neck to scalp. The boy's skin had been patterned in squares of red and green motley. So... The difference between how he was described before to who and what he is now is astounding. Yeah. Like he could speak four languages. He was funny. He was like athletic, it seems. They said that he was lithe and he was, you know, mm-hmm. they say nimble as a monkey. Like he, it's just the difference. Like it wrecked every fiber of his being. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's really, it's really sad when you actually think it about is. it. His patch face has a very sad story. And I wonder if that letter is like any foreshadowing, like maybe one day he'll even teach Stannis to smile. Or what it, does it say to smile or to laugh? Yeah, in time, he will even teach Stannis how to laugh. So I wonder if patch face is going to have play some role into making Stannis laugh in the end, but not in a way we think. Like, I could see Stannis totally losing his fucking mind. I was just going to say, the only way I can see Stannis laughing is if he has, like, a severe mental break. I can't imagine him laughing under any circumstances. Yeah. Except, like, literally going mad. Yeah, a mental break. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, they talk about... I don't know, he got all riled up over a peach, so it's possible. It's very possible, especially, I feel like, when they... When they do some whatever they're gonna do to Shireen, yeah. he's gonna have to be at his wits' end by that. That might be what breaks him. Yeah. Like ultimately it just breaks him, even if he's the one, especially if he's the one that makes the call mm-hmm. and allows yeah. it. I can see him that like driving him over the edge. And him being like a broken man afterwards. Mm-hmm. I could totally see that. So yeah. they talk about uh Davos returning. Um <laughs> And Davos being with Lord Stannis most of the night. And um, Maester Crescent talks about like, you know, like the old days when Stannis might wake him up so he could join Stannis in the, um, in the, in like his councils and things like that. But he said, castles are not friendly places for the frail. Crescent was reminded as he descended the turnpike stair of Sea Dragon Tower, Lord Stannis would be found in the chamber of the painted table atop the stone drum, Dragonstone's central keep, so named for the way its ancient walls boomed and rumbled during storms. To reach him, they must cross the gallery, pass through the middle and inner walls with the guardian gargoyles and black iron gates, and ascend more steps than Crescent cared to contemplate. Young men climbed steps two at a time. For old men with bad hips, every one was a torment. But Lord Stannis would not think to come to him, so the maester resigned himself to the ordeal. He had Pylos to help him, at the least, and for that, he was grateful. So, like, Stannis 
bitch, you can't go to the old man. Like you're such a fucking dick. So he has, he doesn't, he doesn't really even want his company at this point. He's like, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't doesn't summon him on purpose. Yeah. And uses that as an excuse. Like Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. you're old, you need your rest. Yeah. So, um, he's like talking about like boats that he sees. And one of them is, um, Lord Stannis's boat, which is Fury, which actually Yuki's middle name is Fury. Oh my God, <laughs> so I, I named it after <laughs> Stannis's war galley because <laughs> she's so mean. So I was like, okay, Fury she is, is your some little war galley, isn't she? <laughs> yes, she is. Um, so he gets in there and he sees Davos. Wait, 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 wait. It says halfway up, he regretted his decision. He had stopped to catch his breath and ease the pain in his hip when he heard the scuff of boots on stone and came face to face with Sir Davos Seaworth. Davos was a slight man, his low birth written plain upon a common face. A well-worn green cloak stained by salt and spray and faded from the sun draped his thin shoulders over brown doublet and breeches that matched brown eyes and hair. About his neck, a pouch of worn leather hung from the thong. His small beard was well peppered with gray, and he wore a leather glove on his maimed left hand. When he saw Crescent, he checked his descent. Sir Davos, the maester said, when did you return? In the black of morning, my favorite time, it was said that no one had ever handled a ship by night half so well as Davos shorthand before Lord Stannis had knighted him. He had been the most notorious and elusive smuggler in all the Seven Kingdoms. And the man shook his head. It is as you warned him. They will not rise, Maester. Not for him. They do not love him. No, Crescent thought, nor will they ever. He is strong, able, just, I, just past the point of wisdom. Yet it is not enough. It has never been enough. You spoke to them all? All? No. Only those that would see me. They do not love me either, these highborns. To them, I'll always be the Onion Knight. And when he talks about the people not loving Stannis mm-hmm. and Stannis being just, but just past the point of wisdom, <laughs> um, we aren't really introduced to Stannis in a Game of Thrones. Um, we hear about him and everything we've heard about him is basically, uh, yeah, we don't want him to be king. Like, Littlefinger, various, all of them, basically, they they conspire and do what they did to Ned because they didn't want Stannis to be king. They would rather it be Joffrey than Stannis because with, with a man like Stannis, they would not be able to get away with the shit right. that they're doing. They wouldn't be able to fuck around as much as they have. Yeah. There would not be that lead way. And when it, when he, when he says, uh, when Maester Crescent says like, it's, it's not enough. Uh, it has never been enough. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's kind of like how Stannis, like with, with his brothers, like he has that middle child syndrome. And he's never felt loved by his brothers. Like, even with Robert, mm-hmm. like, I will go to my fucking grave saying Robert was wrong as fuck for giving Renly Storm's end and not giving it to Stannis. Rightfully, Stannis is supposed to be at Dragonstone, right? Right. Because the heir, until he had children, the heir was supposed to be at Dragonstone. Right. But once Joffrey's born, 
give him back Storm's End because he held Storm's End. Like he resorted to eating books. Yeah. For the for the horse glue on the paper to hold Storm's End. So like give it back to him. Because once Joffrey comes of age, Stannis is homeless. Where's he gonna go? Where's he gonna go? And like I don't know. Renly didn't hold shit down for you. As soon as you died, Renly turned on Stannis. So it's right. like, bro. I mean, during all of that, Renly was a child. So, yeah. cause there's a huge age gap between Stannis and Renly. Yes. And so there's like this, this disconnect of like, yes, Stannis was the heir. And so he should have Dragonstone, but they go into like the, the, the amount of um, of lords that pay fealty to each castle. <laughs> and mm-hmm. like Renly is swimming in tax money and yeah. Stannis is like scraping out a living on rocks. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I did everything for Robert. I did everything he asked me. And he basically said, fuck you and went to Ned. Yeah. And Robert, <laughs> and he did. He's not wrong. And Robert like fucking like, on his wedding night, like banged his like dishonored the fuck out of his wife's sister and got her pregnant <laughs> and like or her cousin. One and of the cousin. one of the Fox uh Fox Florence. Florence. Why did I want to yeah. keep saying foxes? But one of those they got big, them big old one fox of those big eared bitches. <laughs> <laughs> he fucked and got a baby on them. So like Robert is super disrespectful to Stannis and oh he is he's disrespectful to everyone he didn't care about anything but having a good time but also if we look at it the other way like Stannis knew that Joffrey's kids were bastards and knew that or knew that Robert's kids were bastards and he knew that Robert was in danger and he was like ah fuck it I'm out let Ned Stark handle this shit When you're, yeah, I you're can't really blame him. I can't really blame him. The throne, like Robert, flipped him off enough times and said, "You know, to hell with you." So, I mean, it's it's fair play. Yeah, that's true. Um, I'm, I'm not a I'm not a Stannis supporter. Like, <laughs> don't get me wrong. I I don't like Stannis. I don't think he's like. I don't think he's the one, but. I do think in his, some of his actions, he was justified to feel the way that he did. Yeah. Especially where Robert is concerned. Renly. I I neither like or dis, I neither like or dislike Stannis. I just don't understand like the diehard support for Stannis. Right. Neither. I mean, I, I dislike Robert enough that I like Stannis more. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I, I get where Stannis has that, like, that grudge i totally get it i i feel him there but he's i don't know like the the part where it says you know just to the point of like what is it what is the line just to the just past the point of wisdom just past the point of wisdom that is stannis all over he is like whether it serves him or not he's gonna do like textbook right thing even if it's like cutting off your nose to spite your face, which he yeah. does a few times. And he, he does it to Davos. Like, you didn't have to cut off Davos's fingers, you fucking weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> like, you didn't have to do that. And Davos right. is just as weird like, for pardons, like saying loyalty. Pardons exist. Yes, they do. He, and, and like, 
Yeah, Davos almost had like Stockholm syndrome about it. <laughs> right? Yes, Daddy, cut off the other ones. Like, like yes, Daddy. <laughs> I don't need all those knuckles. Right. So, it's, um, yeah, a little weird. Crescent is talking about um, Renly's Rainbow Guard, which is his King's Guard, and um, the Rainbow Guard. Uh, they don't wear white. Uh, each one has their own color. And Lord Ty- Loris Tyrell is their Lord Commander. Um, and Mesa Crescent was like, uh, that's just like Renly. Like, he's always been a splendid new order to knighthood with gorgeous new raiment to proclaim it. Even as a boy, Renly had loved bright colors and rich fabrics, and he loved his games as well. Look at me, he would shout as he ran laughing through the halls of Storm's End. Look at me, I'm a dragon, or look at me, I'm a wizard. Look at me, look at me, look at me. I'm the rain god. The bold little boy with wild black hair and laughing eyes was a man grown now, one in 20, and still he played his games. Look at me, I'm a king, Crescent. Look at me, I'm a king, Crescent thought sadly. Oh, Renly, Renly, dear sweet child, do you know what you are doing? And would you care if you did? Is there anyone who cares for him but me? What reasons did the Lord give for their refusals? He asked their devils. And he's talking about um, the Lord's refusing to support Stannis. He wants to know the reasons. But when he's talking about, is there anyone who cares for him but me? He's talking about Stannis. Like right. He feels like he's the only one that gives a fuck about Stannis. Yeah, because Stannis is his only living family member. Mm-hmm. That's all that's left yep. is Stannis. You know, their parents died when Renly was a baby. His brother, their older brother is gone. He didn't have any, any true born. He had, you know, 19 bastards, but he didn't have any. And most of the bastards are dead now anyways. But like, they don't have anyone left. And so Renly is kind of trying to make his own life, his own way in the world by, you know, being this fun, good guy, which I guess is kind of what Robert did. And maybe that's part of the reason that Stannis resents him so much is that they are both like really enigmatic men, Mm -hmm. Robert and Renly and people come to them because they're fun and they're you know a good time to be around and Stannis is just kind of sitting there brooding eating his horse glue you know what I mean (laughs) yeah (laughs) so it's (laughs) it's again I can see where he's got this like this grudge against his brothers because he and it's not even that his brothers are doing it maliciously they're not like oh yeah this will really get get Stanley's 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 goat like I'm gonna be like extra fun so that he looks super boring and lame it's just that they have that personality type and that that was never Stannis no they they don't don't care they don't care how they don't care affect him um so when Maester Crescent comes in um he says there was no hint of warmth in his voice. There seldom was. Stannis Baratheon, Lord of Dragonstone, and by the grace of God's rightful heir to the Iron Throne and the Seven Kingdoms, was broad of shoulder and sinewy, sinewy, sinewy of limb. What a stupid word! With a tightness <laughs> of his face and flesh that spoke of leather cured in the sun until it was as tough as steel. Hard was You're the so word. <laughs> I mean, what the fuck is that word? Okay. <laughs> you know, like sinew, like tendon, tendon. He's like, he's tendony and muscly. 
okay he's vascular (laughs) why couldn't they say he's muscular cinema okay um hard was the word men used when they spoke of stannis and hard he was though he was not yet five and thirty only a fringe of thin black hair remained on his head circling behind his ears like the shadow of a crown his brother the late king robert had grown a beard in his final years Maester Crescent had never seen it, but they said it was the wild thing, thick and fierce. <laughs> so, like, his beard was a wild thing. Maester Crescent is so to focus on. Yes. <laughs> He's like, God. He's just like, man, I wish I could have seen that beard. <laughs> so Everyone said how wild it was. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a weird thing to focus on. But, I mean, it's, again, this, the stark contrast between the two brothers. Yeah. You know, Stannis is, like, what, they said 35? Not mm-hmm. yet 35. And he's already going bald. Right. He's younger than Robert. Right. But he's, like, like holding a grudge, I guess. It, it ages you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, people age so terribly in Westeros. <laughs> it's a hard world. Yeah, modern medicine really needs to uh, need to kick in with that Medicare over there because these people are hurting. <laughs> um, Mesa Crescent is all like, you know, why didn't you wake me up? Like once you would have woken me up. And Stannis is like, once you were young, now you are old and sick and need your sleep. <laughs> Stannis had never learned to soften his speech, to dissemble or flatter. He said what he thought and those that did not like it could be damned. I knew you learned what Davos had to say soon enough. You always do, don't you? I would be of no help to you if I did not. I met Davos on the stairs and he told all, I suppose. I should have the man's tongue shortened along with his fingers. He would have made you a poor envoy then. He made a poor envoy in any case. The storm lords will not rise for me, it seems. They do not like me. And the justice of my cause means nothing to them. The cravenly ones will sit behind their walls, waiting to see how the wind rises and who is likely to triumph. The bold ones have already declared for Renly. For Renly, he spat out the name like poison on his tongue. Your brother has been the Lord of Storm's End these past 13 years. These lords are his sworn bannermen. His, Stannis broke in, when by rights they should be mine. I never asked for Dragonstone. I never wanted it. I took it because Robert's enemies were here and he commanded me to root them out. I built his fleet and did his work dutifully as a younger brother should be to an elder, as Renly should be to me. And what was Robert's thanks? He names me Lord of Dragonstone and gives Storm's End and its incomes to Renly. Storm's End belonged to House Baratheon for 300 years. By rights, it should have passed to me when Robert took the Iron Throne. It was an old grievance deeply felt and never more so than now yeah so we're back to why stannis hates them <laughs> why stannis hates his fucking brothers um which like you said it could be a book all in itself yeah it's not without reason it's not without <laughs> that's stannis's 13 reasons why <laughs> yes he's, he's like no one can hold a grudge in westeros like stannis baratheon yeah. He feels it so deeply. Like he takes every move so personally, even if it's not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like to his, to his own detriment, he just he takes everything so damn personally. Yeah. Yeah. He does. And like even when Maester Crescent like tries to talk reason into him, was like, well, Robert had reasons to do the things that he did. It's like he doesn't want to hear it. 
it, it doesn't, he doesn't want to hear it. Um, but he talks about, uh, Stanish talks about, uh, Renly some more. <laughs> He's very pissed with Renly because Renly, so Renly's definitely a hundred percent wrong. Like you're, you're usurping your brother at this point. You're saying fuck Stannis at this point. Because you I mean, is be that king. any different from what Robert did? Mm, yes. Because Renly knows that the throne should pass to Stannis. Robert knew the throne should pass to Rhaegar. Like, at this point, it, the succession, once the, the Targaryens were overthrown, mm-hmm. the succession is through battle like the conquest is who takes the throne and that's what Renly is trying to do yeah but to rationalize- so I'm, not, I'm not saying he's right I'm just saying like it's with the way things have gone in Westeros in the last 20 years like it's justifiable well to rationalize like Robert versus Rhaegar like Robert believes that Rhaegar has kidnapped his bride and raped and murdered her or whatever and Stannis Renly has no reason to want to go against Stannis other than he's no fun. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, you would be terrible. God, you're so boring. <laughs> and like, it, it, what hurts me so much with Renly is when Stannis like offers him, like, you will be my heir. Mm-hmm. I will make you my heir until I have a son. Stannis isn't going to have a son. We know, we know he's not going to have a son. So you would come after Stannis. So we would have a few hard years of Stannis. And then you would come. Then it would be you. So like, why not support your brother? Because so much could have been solved if you just would have supported your brother. But you didn't, Renly. You no, fucking he's... troll. <laughs> <laughs> he's very caught up in himself. Yeah. And I think... um Loris, I, I feel like that scene that was added in Game of Thrones with Loris like hyping Renly up to do it. Oh, where he's creepily shaving him. Yeah, I yeah. think <laughs> there's probably something like that going on. Yeah, like, I th- like even though that was a made up scene, I definitely think, yeah, Loris probably put a couple batteries in Stannis's back, uh, in Renly's back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it would make sense that he wasn't just getting these ideas on his own that someone more power hungry behind him and you know what loris could have even been getting it from olena Mm, that's true because they've been plotting they be plotting their whole their whole house was founded on plotting yeah and that seems like a very like olena thing to do very um, so they're trying to convince Stannis to treat with Renly. And Stannis is like, I will not treat with Renly. Stannis answered in a tone that broke no argument. Not while he calls himself a king. Not Renly then, the maester yielded. His lord was stubborn and proud. When he had set his mind, there was no changing it. Others might serve your needs as well. Eddard Stark's son has been proclaimed king in the north with all the power of Winterfell and River Run behind him. A green boy, said Stannis, and another false king. Am I to accept a broken realm? Surely half a kingdom is better than none, Crescent said. And if you help the boy avenge his father's murder, why should I avenge Eddard Stark? The man was nothing to me. Oh, Robert loved him, to be sure. Loved him as a brother. How often did I hear that? I was his brother, not Ned Stark, 
but you would never have known it by the way he treated me. I held Storm's End for him, watching good men starve while Mace Tyrell and Paxter Redwine feasted within sight of my walls. Did Robert thank me? No, he thanked Stark for lifting the siege when we were down to rats and radishes. I built a fleet at Robert's command, took Dragonstone in his name. Did he take my hand and say, well done, brother? Whatever should I do without you? No, he blamed me for letting Willem Derry steal away Viserys and the babe, as if I could have stopped it. I sat on his council for 15 years, helping John Aaron rule his realm, while Robert drank and whored. But when John died, did my brother name me his hand? No, he went galloping off to his dear friend Ned Stark and offered him the honor. And small good it did either of them. <laughs> Stannis is such a bitter Betty. <laughs> he is so salty. He's like, he is so eh. salty. But again, he's not wrong. If he had been named Hand of the King, a lot of the shit that happened would not have flied. Girl, if he was named Hand of the King, Littlefinger, Varys, and... uh. Maester Pycelle would probably be dead. Yeah, they would have been in Robert the would have never black died. cells. <laughs> they would have been in the black cells like right away. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They um, probably would have taken Cersei's head off and the story would have been over. <laughs> Maester Crescent is always like patting Sanus up. He's like, yes, great wrongs have been done to you, but the past is thus. The future may yet be won if you join with the Starks. There are others you might sound out as well. What of Lady Aaron? If the queen murdered her husband, surely she will want justice for him. She has a young son, John Aaron's heir. The boy is weak and sickly. Lord Stannis objected. Stannis is such a bitch. Even, <laughs> even his father saw how it was when he asked me to foster him on Dragonstone. Service as a page might have done him good, but that damnable Lannister woman had Lorne Aaron poisoned before it could have be done. And now Lysa hides him in the Eyrie. She'll never part with the boy, I promise you that. Then you must send Shireen to the Eyrie. Dragonstone is a grim home for a child. Let her fool go with her, so she will have a familiar face about her. Family, familiar and hideous. Stannis furrowed his brow and thought, still, perhaps it is worth trying. Must the rightful lord of the Seven Kingdom beg for help from widowed women and usurpers? A woman's voice asked sharply. Maester Crescent turned and bowed his head. My lady, he said. I don't know what that word is. I'm going to say my lady, he said, and it is Solis. I can't stand Solis. Like, I would push the leaves off of a cliff if I was in the yeah. cell. I would have thrown her through the moon door. She is... Yeah. <laughs> I can't stand Celise either. She's so up her own ass and so up Melisandre's ass. Yeah. Yeah, she is. She's, like, basically, like, fuck all the, those people. Like, you don't ask them for help. Like, you are the one true king. It would not be fitting to plead and bargain with them for what is rightfully yours by the grace of God. And um, she's talking and Mesa Crescent realizes that she says God and not gods because she has fully turned away from the seven <laughs> and is worshiping the Lord of Light. Sorry, I had to, I had to look up the word that you skipped. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the fuck that means. <laughs> Chagrined. <laughs> I can't like I can't why <laughs> what like, does it mean it's like embarrassed yeah that's how I feel yeah 
<laughs> You're so funny. I can't help it. Like, it's not my strong suit. Word pronunciation. You're anyway, too. so <laughs> um, basically, Celise is a piece of shit, and she basically hypes she up. Like, she hypes up Stannis, but I feel like she's Melisandre's creature. Right, but she's acting like his ass is already on the Iron Throne. Yeah. She's like, you're not going to beg anyone. You're not going to go ask of people. You're the king. Like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Okay, hun. The big ass ears and you still can't hear what the fuck is happening? uh, So one of the interesting parts is these this exchange those swords are sworn to Renly. They love my charming young brother as they once loved Robert and as they have never loved me. Yes, she answered, but if Renly should die. Stannis looked at his lady with narrowed eyes until Crescent could not hold his tongue. It is not to be thought, your grace, whatever follies Renly has committed. Follies, I call them treasons. Stannis turned back to his wife. My brother is young and strong, and he has a vast host around him, and these rainbow knights of his. Melisandre has gazed into the flames and seen him dead. Crescent was horror struck. Fratricide. (laughs) Fratricide, my lord. This is evil. Unthinkable. Please listen to me. Lady Celise gave him a measured look. And what will you tell him? Maester? How he might win half a kingdom if he goes to the Starks on his knees and sells our daughter to Lysa Aaron. I have heard your counsel, Crescent, Lord Stannis said. Now I will hear hers. You are dismissed. And he's going to hear what Lady Celise has to say. Which means what Melisandre has to say. Yeah, she's Melisandre's mouthpiece. Um, Big time. and, And he says it. He says the woman was the heart of it, not the Lady Celise, mm-hmm. the other one, the red woman. The servants had named her, afraid to speak her name. I will speak her name, Crescent told his stone hellhound. Melisandra, her, Melisandra of a shy, sorceress, shadowbinder, and priestess to Relore, the Lord of Light, the Heart of Fire, the God of Flame and Shadow. Melisandra, whose madness must not be allowed to spread beyond Dragonstone. He fucking hates Melisandre. <laughs> he does. For good reason, though. No, for very good reason. But she's she she's imposed herself on Dragonstone and on Stannis so forcefully and completely that like it even says in like two pages before this, like when when Celise is, uh, she says, God, not gods. It says the, the red woman had won her heart and soul, turning her from the gods, of the seven kingdoms, both old and new to worship the one they called the Lord of light. And Stannis says, your God can keep his grace. Yeah. And it says Stannis does not share his wife's fervent new faith. So like, he's not buying it. Like, mm-hmm. I think, I think of Stannis as more of like atheistic. Like he doesn't believe in, any of the gods mm-hmm. he just kind of goes along with it because he throws he throws the the seven away pretty easily to accept the lord of light because of the power that he would get from them yeah. not because he has this fervent belief in them 
Mm -hmm. They're just like a tool or a stepping stone to to get, to get what he, to get their, their means to an end. Yeah. Um, so Crescent is like chilling out, playing around with the strangler. <laughs> like when he's talking, when he's like fingering holding, his poisons. Yeah, he's just fingering <laughs> through his poisons. Like, oh, what do we have here? And he's going over like where where some of them are from and all of this stuff. And um, it's talks- interesting when he, he talks about what goes into actually making the strangler. Mm-hmm. It's like who the fuck figured out that if you take this leaf from the jade sea and soak it in limes and sugar and then get a bunch of different herbs and spices from the summer isles which is like thousands of leagues away from the summer sea or from from the jade sea and then you you know strain it out and let it crystallize that you can kill someone with it like who the fuck was playing around with stuff from all over the world the ashai <laughs> and just figured out that they made poison I definitely think the Ashai. It's wild. Yeah. It's, it's in Ashai and then the other ones are in Lys. Mm-hmm. Lysine. Yeah, Lysini. Yeah. Like, that's wild. Yeah, it is. But I wonder, um, I wonder, like, how all of it is discovered. Like, is it discovered on accident? Or should, because, because even like in real world, like, I wonder, like, who was rolling over cow shit and like oh this mushroom on the bottom of it let's eat it and see what it does <laughs> like who was doing who was the person it had to just be like some starving farmer i don't know and he was probably like it's like all i have is shit. cow shit and then oh mushrooms and, and then, then he blasts it off and our favorite <laughs> right <laughs> so um crescent is plotting he says, this very night, Lord Stannis would feast his bannerman, his lady wife, and the red woman, Melisandre of Ashai. I must rest, Maester Crescent told himself. I must have all my strength come dark. My hands must not shake, nor my courage flag. It is a dreadful thing I do, yet it must be done. If there are gods, surely they will forgive me. So he's planning uh, to murder, <laughs> to murder Melisandre. He's going to do a big dead. Yeah. In he his says mind, he's going to do a big dead on Melisandre. He says, perhaps it is my comet. He thought drowsily at last, <laughs> just before sleep took him an omen of blood foretelling murder. Yes. Um, it's funny because <laughs> as we go through the first few chapters of clash, everyone in- interprets this comet different. Oh yeah. Everyone, Everyone's- they're like, it's Lannister red or it's Rob thinks it's like Tully red, Tully red. And Daenerys thinks that it's for her dragons. And you know, what, who's it? Uh, Solis thinks that it's um, the Stannis's, yeah. Stannis's omen that he's going to win because Melisandre said it's dragon's breath. Like everyone is seeing what they want to see. Yeah. For sure. And I think that's important that it's introduced here because as we go further, we'll see that prophecy is kind of interpreted and Melisandre's kind of like, yeah, it's you, Stannis, but then like everyone else interprets it as someone else. And it's kind of like people take these prophecies and they see what they want to see. They put their, they implicate their self and make their self seem more important than what they are. And it's, 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 it's a, which is an ongoing theme. Yeah. And it's, it's a good way of like that comment is such a good way to show that idea in the story. The idea right. that everyone- Everyone's has, own sense of self-importance. Yeah. 
and everyone's interprets things different. Um, so they didn't summon him to the feast. <laughs> he just wakes up in the dark, cold and hungry. <laughs> yeah, which is pretty fucked up. Like, why would you treat it an is. old person? Like, why that's Melisandre? Tra- yeah. It's Melisandre whispering in Stannis's ear because she knows that Crescent doesn't like her. And she knows that Crescent, she probably even knows that Crescent's gonna try and kill her at this point. And so he's having, she's having Stannis like purposefully distance himself from Crescent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, an interesting, well, I, I won't say interesting. It is interesting, but I love this like uh, quote here. I love like the imagery. Torches flickered along the walls of Dragonstone and in the camp beyond, he could see hundreds of cook fires burning as if a field of stars had fallen to the earth. Above the comet blazed red and malevolent. I am too old and wise to fear such things, the maester told himself. And then when he gets into the hall, like he hears Patchface singing his song and talking about shadows coming to stay. And I don't know. It's just like, you know, he just walked into a feast and it's loud and there's a lot of chaos going on around him mm-hmm. and he's just like got his strangler poison like i'm gonna kill this red bitch today <laughs> like fuck this bitch and um he's trying to like you know be i'm trying to, he's trying to be like inconspicuous like I, I don't want to be found out like i need to mm-hmm. do this this i have to do this for the for the realm and i think he bumps into patch face right like Patchface knocks him over. Okay. That was another one that I was looking at in um, like through a different lens, right? So it says Patchface lurched into Crescent, knocking mm-hmm. his cane out from under him, and they went crashing down together amidst the rushes and a tangle of arms and legs, while a sudden gale of laughter went up around them. No doubt it was a comical sight. Patchface sprawled half on top of him, Motley's fool face pressed close to his own. He had lost his tin helm with its antlers and bells. Under the sea, you fall up, he declared. I know, Mm -hmm. I know. Oh, oh, oh. So I think one of two things with under the sea, you fall up. I think it's either like when dead bodies are in the water, they float. Mm -hmm. And he like he's telling him that he's going to die or it could be like when Targaryens like rise to power, they're often people who can see prophecy. And Mm -hmm. so like patch face would be the prophecy and Crescent of course would be the wise man patches (laughs) calling him patches. Now patches tackles Crescent and he falls like the reference to like the fall of Valyria and patches, Mm -hmm. Patchface says, in Valyria, you fall up, which means that, like, if in Valyria you're tackled and receive a prophecy, instead of falling down with the Empire, you would leave the Empire. Like, like the Targaryens. Daenys, like Danny's the Dreamer did. Yeah, that's what and I was thinking. And then they fell up. They became kings. Yeah, that's what I was thinking when you were talking about it relating to Valyria. I was going to say, well, the the only people that didn't fall in in the fall of Valyria were the Targaryens. They like had right. a major blow and up. they fell up. They yeah. fell into being kings. But I wonder why. Of them. 
I wonder why he wants to talk about Valeria so much. Like, where are you from, little man? Well, the 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 religion of Relor is very like prominent in Volantis, especially with the slaves. And so he might have already been a follower of the Red God. Yeah. Yeah. He could have been. Or maybe he's like been body snatched. Maybe. And that's right. Maybe he he really did die and he's a fire white. Maybe. Maybe. But they said that when when they found his body, that someone said that his body was cold and fire whites aren't cold. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So he falls down and this whole scene is so sad. Um, He's like all feeble, like he's struggling to get up. He's in pain. He's an old man. His poor shattered hip. (laughs) Yes. And someone picks him up and he's like, thank you, sir. And like, he's turning to like, see which night it was. Um, It's Mel. (laughs) It's Melisandre. (laughs) And she's like, you ought to take more care. As ever, she wore red head to heel, a long, loose gown of flowing silk as bright as fire with dagged sleeves and deep slashes in the bodies and the boat boat bodice. Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) And deep slashes. I love our new tradition. (laughs) That showed glimpses of a darker blood red fabric beneath. Around her throat was a red gold choker tighter than any maester's chain, ornamented with a single great ruby. Her hair was not the orange or strawberry color of common red-haired men, but a deep burnished copper that shone in the light of the torches. Even her eyes were red, but her skin was smooth and white, unblemished, pale as cream. Slender she was, graceful, taller than most knights, with full breasts and narrow waist and a heart-shaped face. Men's eyes that once found her did not quickly look away, not even a maester's eyes. Many called her beautiful. She was not beautiful. She was red and terrible and red. I thank you, my lady. A man your age must look to where he steps, Melisandre said courteously. The night is dark and full of terrors. He knew the phrase, some prayer of her faith. It makes no matter. I had the faith of my own. Only children fear the dark, he told her. Yet even as he said the words, he heard Patchface take up his song again. The shadows come to dance, my lord, dance, my lord, dance, my lord. Now here's a riddle, Melisandre said, a clever fool and a foolish wise man. Bending, she's picked up, bending, she picked up Patchface's helm from where it had fallen and set it on Crescent's head. The cowbang, cowbell, fuck, the cowbells rang softly as the tin bucket slid down over his ears. A crown to match your chain, Lord Maester, she announced. All around them, men were laughing. And I think she's a bitch for that. He is. <laughs> like, bro. There was no reason for that. Yeah, you're just being a fucking bitch. Um, yeah. And he says, like, I need no crown, but truth, he told her, removing the fool's helm from his head. There are truths in this world that are not taught at Old Town. Melisandre turned from him in a swirl of red silk and made her way back to the high table where King Stannis and his queen were seated. Crescent handed the antler tin bucket back to Patchface and made and made to follow. Maester Pylos sat in his place. The old man could only stop and stare. Maester Pylos, he said at last, you, you did not wake me. 
His grace commanded me to let you rest. Pylos had at least the grace to blush. He told me you were not needed here. So like Crescent, <laughs> you just feel like so like he's so pitiful. He's so pitiful. Like you almost are glad that he's no longer suffering this, this, this shit. Cause we've been with him for one day and his life is miserable. It is. And he's just being cast aside from all angles. It sucks. Yeah. He's like we said in the beginning, the, the prologues are just sad, pitiable men. And he's one of the saddest because, and it, I think it's made especially hard because he is such a sympathetic character. Like he loves and cares so much for the people around him. And they're just like pushing him off. It's really sad. Yeah. Yeah. And we um, don't get that with any of the other ones. Like we don't see like Vermeer being like soft hearted towards anyone or even Pete. He just wants to buy a whore, you know? Yeah. Like <laughs> we don't get this like aw moment. Yeah. And, and with Carson, it's like ultimate, it's like the ultimate pity. Yeah. It's really it, sad. Because not only that, like, oh, these people are doing this to him. It hurts him so much because he sees Stannis as the son that he never had. Right. Like, like even when it says that he wakes up in the dark and it says his Lord's face swam in front of him, but not the man that he was, but the boy that he had been standing cold in the shadows while the sun shone on his elder brother. Yes. And yes. just, he loves him so much. And he's just like, no, go to sleep old man. This part almost made me cry when he's like, Stannis, my lord, my sad, sullen boy, son I never had. You must not do this. Don't you know how I have cared for you, lived for you, loved you despite all? Yes, loved you better than Robert even or Renly, for you were the one unloved, the one who needed me most. Um, yeah, so Ugh. basically Stannis is like, I don't need you to be maester anymore. Like, I... Like you're, you're old and ill and I will not have you kill yourself in my service. And he says, as you command my Lord, but, but I'm hungry. Might not I have a place at your table. And Sir Davos rose from the bench and said, I should be honored if the maester would sit here beside me, your grace. <laughs> Love Davos. <laughs> yes. And Davos is so well-written that he's tricked half the fandom into thinking that Stannis is a good person. Yeah. Because Davos loves him so much. Yeah. Davos is. He's such a good Davos. <laughs> and he's just like, no, no, old man, come sit with me. No one else wants you, but I'll sit with you. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, I think King Stannis does. Um, does take up for Crescent at one point in this chapter. Uh, if I'm. Wait, am I mistaken? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, but he talks about, like, they talk about uh, Lady Solis basically says, like, that because because Maester Crescent calls Stannis, like, Lord Stannis, and Lady Solis is like, you forget yourself. He is a king. Yes. And <laughs> Stannis is like, he is old. His mind wanders. Like, what is it, Crescent? Speak speak your mind. Um and then he starts to talk and he Stannis is like, you know, I'm not making common calls with the no one. 
Um, no more than light makes common cause with darkness. So lady, that's what Lady Silly says. Um, it's just like, it's, it's sad. It's sad because Crescent is like, I have really lost him now. Like he's like in a complete state of despair. Like he's in, he, Crescent is like, no, you know, like he's, he knows he's going to die. Like he, mm-hmm. he knows he's going to, he's going to die and Melisandre's going to die, but he feels like it's what's best for Stannis. That's how much he loves Stannis. Yeah, he's willing to to sacrifice himself to save Stannis from Melisandre's grasp. Yes, yes. Um, so they talk about um, Celise is like threat- threatening um, Mister Crescent. Like, if you want to speak such follies as you're speaking, you should wear uh, patch faces as helm. It suits you, old man. <laughs> and then. Um, Pat, patch face uh like starts his under the sea no one wears hats i know i know oh 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 and it says lord stannis's eyes were shadowed beneath his heavy brow his mouth tight as his jaw worked silently he always ground his teeth when he was angry fool he growled at last my lady wife commands give crescent your helm no, the old maester thought, this is not you, not your way. You were always just, always hard, yet never cruel. Never. You did not understand mockery no more than you understood laughter. Patchface danced closer, his cowbells ringing. A clang-a-lang, ding-ding, clink-clang, clink-clang. The maester sat silent while the fool set the antlered bucket on his brow. Crescent bowed his head beneath the weight his bells clanged. Perhaps he ought to sing his counsel henceforth. Lady Solis said, you go too far, woman, Lord Stannis said. He is an old man and he served me well. And I was very you- talking about that yeah. he stands up for him. A little bit. Humiliates him, after yeah. he humiliates him, makes him put on Patchface's bucket home. A little bit. But I feel like what part of what he's doing, like he's mad because he's grinding his teeth and Maester Crescent sees him grinding his teeth. He's mad. At, he's angry at the fact that he's in this position that he's in and he's taking it out on the person closest to him, which is Crescent. Um, And Crescent's response to that in his mind is, and I will serve you to the last, my sweet Lord, my poor lonely son. And then he sees the way of how he's going to do it. And he's going to do it by a toast. And I think uh, Davos kind of knows what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? And it, he's like, a thing that must be done. <laughs> yeah. So I think yeah. they, they kind of played it up a little bit in the show. Like that Davos like knew more than he, he lets on in the book because he's like, you know, must not do this thing. Mm-hmm. But I think he, he does whisper no to him as he stands. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, Davos grabs him. Davos grabs Crescent's arm and he shakes him off. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny. So he gives her the, the goblet and then she gives it back to him. And um, a maester of the Citadel must not be afraid. The wine was sour on his tongue. He left the empty cup drop from his fingers to shatter on the floor. 
He does have power here, my lord, the woman said, and fire cleanses at her throat. The ruby shim shimmered redly. Crescentot tried to reply, but his words caught in his throat. His cough became terrible thin whistle as he strained to suck in air. Iron fingers tightened around his neck as he sank to his knees. Still, he shook his head, denying her, denying her power, denying her magic, denying her God. And the cowbells pealed in his antlers, singing, fool, 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 while the red woman looked down on him in pity, the candle flames dancing in her red, red eyes. <laughs> that is such a good fucking chapter. It is such a good chapter. But I mean, Melisandre, we learn later that the first thing that Melisandre sees when she looks into the flames is any harm that will come to her. Right. So she, she knew it was coming. She knew it was coming. And he tried, but he failed. But it's funny because this is that POV where we're introduced to omens and prophecies. Cause there isn't that much talk about it in a game of thrones, but clash of Kings opens up with it and it's just right. going to get darker and darker and darker as we go forward. Yeah. And oh. I think it was, it was interesting. One of the, the lines from Patchface when he says, uh, under the sea, no one wears hats. Mm -hmm. And they were just talking about, um, about Crescent calling Stannis Lord instead of King. Mm -hmm. And they go on to talk about Kings and the ruler of the seven kingdoms for a little while. And then that was when Celise said, you know, you should put that back on if you're going to talk all this bullshit. Mm -hmm. And, Patchface says, under the sea, no one wears hats. Like saying there aren't any kings. We're ruled by like basically a government. Yeah, the freehold. The in the Valeria. The, the families of the freehold. Right. And it's it's an interesting, like, again, through the lens of thinking that he's talking about Valeria, which I've never done before. It's mm -hmm. it's interesting that he's like making all of these comparisons and like almost almost saying like you shouldn't be king there shouldn't be a king yeah yeah let's find out clever clever fool patchface <laughs> patchface is the clever clever fool um but that is the prologue of a clash of kings very heavy prologue a very jam-packed prologue did you have anything to add that we didn't cover um I'm just kind of scanning my notes right now because there was something, it was a later patch face prophecy, but I mean, it's not even there yet. So we don't have to go into it. Okie dokie. Um, so if you guys would like to be on an episode of Obsidian Nights, as you know, you can hit up my email, obsidiannightspodcast at gmail.com. Or you can hit up Mandy at Nimshadow on Twitter. Also, you can join my Patreon, um, patreon.com slash gray area. And please, please, please review this episode wherever you listen to it at. And Mandy, thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Always, always a pleasure. And we will see you guys later. Bye. Bye.